Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So your sermon text is on the back of your bulletin, the Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 16. We read, beginning in verse 21, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. Now why would he go to Jerusalem? Well, it's the capital of Judea, certainly. But more than that, Jerusalem is the place of sacrifice. Jerusalem is the one place where sacrifice for sin can be made. Iniquity atoned for. And notice, he must go to Jerusalem. Signifying God's intent. This is divine necessity. He must go there. Because in Matthew's Gospel, sin is a debt that must be paid. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Sin is a debt that must be repaid. It can't simply be wiped off the books and forgotten. It must be paid. And there's no other way to pay that cost, to pay that debt, than for Jesus to die. He prayed in the garden, Father, if possible, remove this cup from me. But it was not possible. There was no other way that sacrifice for sin could be made other than his death in our place. So Jesus, we read, must go and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Notice, this is an ongoing rebuke. He begins to rebuke him. It doesn't end here saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now why does Jesus say, Get behind me? For this reason, disciples kept a respectful distance behind their rabbi, behind their teacher when they were traveling the disciples always followed at a distance. And so when Jesus says, get behind me, he's saying, return to a position of discipleship. Be a student, not the master. You're a hindrance to me, just like the devil is, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And notice the distance between those two things, the things of man and the things of God. They're as different as night and day. Roman numeral one, life without a cross is the devil's idea. Life without a cross is the devil's idea. Remember, Satan led Jesus up to a high mountain in Matthew 4, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, all this will be yours if you bow down and worship me. In other words, the devil offered Jesus a kingdom without a cross. 
a kingdom without suffering. But Jesus isn't buying it because he knows his mission is to suffer and die for the sins of the world. Roman numeral two. If Jesus came to die and rise, and this is the point of the passage, he expects no less from us. No less from us. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Letter A, his life explains yours. You understand who you are in light of who he is and what he does. The more you learn about Jesus, the more you really learn about yourself because his dying and rising is a picture of our own lives. Just as he died for sins, and he's the only one who could, you and I are to die daily to sins. Those very sins that put him on the cross, we're called to die daily to them. So that each day, a new you arises from the old. Your life will not pay for the sins of the world. Only his life can. But just as he dies and rises, so do you. I'm not talking about dying and rising on the last day, though that's true as well. I'm talking about dying and rising today. Discipleship is all about dying to yourself. St. Paul writes in our epistle lesson for this morning, for you, you have died. You've died to your old self, to your old way of life. St. Paul writes in Romans 6, we were buried with him in baptism. Our old self was crucified with him in baptism. Letter B, your new life is hidden in your death. Your new life is hidden in your death, in your daily dying to self. Jesus says in verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever, notice this, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, it's only in losing your old life that you discover your new one. You discover your calling in life, your new life, by denying to the sinful nature what it craves, what it wants, which is more of self. You die to self when you say no to your own desires so that you might say yes to your neighbor's need. Jesus said it this way in John 12, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, throughout Scripture, life springs up out of death. Letter C. There are no part-time Christians. There are no part-time disciples. Either you are a full-time follower of the Lord, or you're not His at all. Either He means everything to you, or He means nothing at all. The one thing he cannot do is matter a little to you. There's no middle ground. There is no spectrum of discipleship. 
being a disciple is like being pregnant. Either you are or you're not. There's no middle ground. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done, according to his work. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but we're judged on the basis of the evidence of faith, faith made visible in good works. So, number one, what each person has done is either discipleship or apostasy. It's either following or falling away. That's what each person has done. There's no middle ground. No one follows Jesus a little. He demands complete obedience. Now, if you know your scriptures, you know that with man this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. I mean, I follow Jesus, but I sin every day. I have faith in Jesus, but my faith is often weak. And I think the Apostle Paul can relate to that. He writes in Romans 7, The good that I want to do, I don't. The evil I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this wretched condition? And number two, he writes, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my spirit. But with my flesh, with my sinful nature, I serve the law of sin every day. Every day, this dichotomy is coming out of me. Every Christian has two natures. A sinful nature which does nothing but disobey God, and a new nature which always believes and always obeys God. There are two yous. The old you, which needs to die daily, and the new you, which is full of good works and arises daily out of the death of the old. Number three, discipleship and good works flow naturally from faith. They flow naturally from faith. Our first reading, you know, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then, if you doubt me on this, go read Hebrews 11, that great chapter of faith where, where the writer talks about all of the people of God and down through the ages and how by faith they did this, by faith they did that. Faith brings forth good works. We could also substitute that blank and say, your new nature, good works flow naturally from your new nature in Christ, Christ living in you. When a husband demonstrates love for his wife by subordinating his own desires to meet her need, he's denying his sinful nature. He's putting it to death. And he's following Jesus in his new nature. When a wife respects her husband as spiritual head of the home, she's subordinating her own desires to her husband's need. She's denying herself. She's following Jesus. Several weeks ago, I was on I-65 uh, up near the I-70 intersection in Indianapolis, and 
it's under construction and it was rush hour on a Friday and I had a screaming toddler in the rear seat, my grandson William, and he wasn't just crying. He hadn't had uh, lunch, he hadn't had a nap. This was like 5 p.m. The little guy's in desperate need and he's not just crying, he's screaming. And we're not moving at all. We're just sitting on I-65 and we're sitting and we're sitting and we're sitting and he's screaming. And I finally had enough and I, in a very nice voice, I said, William, I said, your screaming is hurting my ears. Will you please be quiet? And there was silence. And he was quiet. Now he cried a little before, we, before I finally got him to his home in Broad Ripple. But he stopped screaming. The little guy's got a new nature, you see. The Lord's at work in him. He heard me, and I was thankful. Now, my friends, and these are all examples of good works in the sight of God. They are, they are the works of the new you, the resurrected you. They are the works we do voluntarily because we want to do them. Our new nature in Christ loves to do these kinds of things. Our sinful nature is always doing the opposite, true. But God keeps no record of that. The works of the sinful nature are forgiven and they are forgotten. Read Matthew 25, the judgment scene there if you doubt me on that. Only the good works of your new nature will be remembered and rewarded on the last day. And that's grace upon grace. Christ is in you doing these things and he's crowning his own work within you. He's doing it and he's rewarding you for it. That's grace upon grace. Roman numeral three, Romans 4.17, and no one could write a better job description for God than this. This summarizes what God does throughout scripture. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Throughout scriptures, from Genesis one to Revelation 22, that's what God is doing. God brings life out of death because throughout Scripture, Scripture is testifying to the one who dies and rises for us, Jesus. And because he dies and rises for the life of the world, so we daily die to ourselves and rise to a new, beautiful life in Christ, a life of service to our spouse, to our parents and children, to fellow members, and so on. Now, understand this. When Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem, he knew that death and resurrection awaited him there. He knew it. He provoked his own death by going to Jerusalem. He deliberately brought about his death because he knew that only by dying could he rise to new life, resurrection life. And my friends, his life is the pattern for yours and for mine. When Jesus calls us to follow him and to bear our cross, he calls us to die to ourselves. He calls us to provoke our own death voluntarily to say no to self because only by dying to ourselves can we rise to a new life of service to husband, to wife, to others. Only by dying to ourselves can we live new lives as parents and children 
as employers and employees and as fellow members of a body of Christ. And this is why we sing in the hymn, Take, take my life, take it and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee, take my moments and my days, let them be your ceaseless praise. My friends, trust me on this, the one who died and rose for us all knows better than anyone else how life is best lived. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus, amen.